Hey mama, welcome back to another episode of The Spiritual Gaze. I'm one of your hosts, Brandon. And I'm your other host, Angel. And this is our twice-monthly podcast dedicated to exploring the wide reaches of spirituality without pretending that it all makes sense. Because if we don't do that for you over here at The Spiritual Gaze... I saw a meme on Instagram, because where else do you see a meme? And it was like a circle, and there was like a little sliver of pie that was like, what you know. And then there was like a pretty small sliver of pie right next to it, which was like, the things you know you don't know. And then the rest of the circle was, the things you don't know that you don't know. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's about right. I mean, I think the more you engage in spiritual seeking, the more you realize that you just don't know anything at all. I mean, I feel like the more you engage in living, the more you realize that, right? That's true. To some degree. Yeah. It's all intertwined. And I think that the shift happens when you stop trying to understand everything and you just allow some of the mystery. Yeah, definitely. And I also feel like it's when you start approaching life from a spiritual place and make living spiritual living how would you talk about spiritual living? Like, what does that mean? What does that look like? I feel like it's like, I wake up, I'm aware that I have breath, I have gratitude. Like, I'm not just waking up and like, going, oh shit, we gotta go, and here we go, and I gotta plug into like, the daily routine of my life. I mean, obviously, like some people probably do wake up with that sense of, you know, like they have a kid probably like shaking them, like time to wake up you know, or what have you, but I do think you can still find a moment, a pause to remind yourself with a breath even that, yes, I am a spiritual being having a human experience. Here we go. (laughs) You know, I've been thinking a lot about just waking up and needing to approach it from like a positive attitude, having like an actual waking thought of, today is going to be an amazing day Mm. and planting that seed. So I feel like even just like having intention with yourself in the morning that goes beyond perhaps the schedule that you have to keep is spiritual living. Yeah. Or like checking back in midway through the day when you've lost whatever grounding your morning spiritual practice. That's probably even more important, right? Yeah, (laughs) for sure. Yeah. Because then you can be like, I'm grateful in the morning. And then something happens, you get in a traffic and you're like, I hate everybody. And then you're sucked in. But that's when living a spiritual life is most important. Because what Mm -hmm. came to me when I asked you that question, there's a great line from a poem by David White that I love so much that goes, to remember the other world in this world is to live in your true inheritance. Oh my God, I love what you say that again. To remember the other world in this world is to live in your true inheritance. Oh, I love that. And that to me feels like what a spiritual life done is. Can we get that like printed and put somewhere in the house? I don't. Th- oh, yeah, probably. <laughs> but we can't sell it because we didn't write it. No, I'm not trying to make money. David off of them. White, W H Y T E. White. Yes. Uh, well, beautiful. Uh, so, gazers, we're going to do something very different this episode. This is a very truncated <laughs> introduction because we have a beautifully uh, expansive interview with our mothers. Yeah, it was recently Mother's Day. So this is coming out just after Mother's Day for y'all. Uh, so we decided to interview our mothers together. And it was a really interesting really beautiful, at least personally beautiful experience for, I think, both of us and for them, I think, as well. Absolutely. 
and we're so excited about it. And it's a pretty in-depth conversation. We get into talking about, obviously, their relationship with their own spirituality, with religion, um, you know, and like their own, like having to come to terms with sort of the religious practices that they were raised under. Um, and some religions were sort of used in their negative form toward them, at least for my mom. So that was something that really interesting. And then obviously we got into talking about what it was like raising the gay men who are here before you. And they're also both cancer survivors. And so we also drew them out on the spiritual teachings of their own journeys with fighting for their lives. So we did edit it, but there was so much good stuff. We're just letting it be one of our longer interviews. And we thought one way to counterbalance that was just to make sure that we shut the fuck up at this early part of the show. Yeah. So quick check in, hun. You good? I'm good. You good? You know what? I'm good. You look good. <laughs> I feel good. All right. You look gorgeous. Thank you. I feel gorgeous. You should, honey. So it was truly our honor and our privilege to invite our mothers into the spirit room and to have this conversation unfold. And it is another honor and privilege to share this conversation with all of you. Yeah, definitely. Especially you mothers out there. And so, here it is. Without further ado, it's this episode's Spirit Talk. So, Angel and I have both of our mothers in the spirit room right now, which is a pretty unbelievable blessing. And we are so excited to spend this next chunk of time uh, engaging our moms in conversation. So I'm going to start by introducing Angel's mom, and then I'm going to have Angel introduce my mom. All right, great. Okay. <laughs> um, so Cookie Maria Lopez is Angel's mother, uh, and she is an Aquarius like myself. Um, and she's also a cancer survivor. Yes. Yes. And an amazing dog mom. Yes. A mother of three children. <laughs> um, and we're so excited to have you here. Thank you for coming, Cookie. Thank you for inviting me. Of course. And over to my left, we have Tamara Strauss. <laughs> <laughs> mother of Brandon and Grant Alter. Uh, she's also a cancer survivor. Uh, more importantly, she is a healer and a gorgeous jewelry designer. Thank you. <laughs> And an all-around fierce woman. Yeah. So welcome to the spirit room, both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we're so happy to have you all. <laughs> this is our first time cramming four people into the spirit room. So there were four people we had to cram in. It's exciting. And it's our moms. And no chase here too, everybody. Of course. Can't hear him. As always. Um, but yeah, obviously, we we're really excited to speak to you both um, around Mother's Day, just because... We always talk a lot about sort of the origins of our spiritual practices and lives. And obviously, I think um, Brandon and I can both say that our spirituality uh, was really born out of our connection with both of you. Yeah. <laughs> when we trace back our spiritual beginnings, they both end up in our mothers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Literally and figuratively. Yes, that's Aww. very true. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we actually just did a conversation around tarot, and we both commented on the fact that we both got tarot decks for the first time from you all. Um, I remember you, mom, gave me my first tarot deck when I think I was in high school. I feel like you just had it sitting around, and you were like, someone had given this to me. I think you'll like it. 
And mom, do you remember the first time you took me to a psychic? I must have been what, like 11, 10 years old. It was well, somewhere it, in like northern I, North County and it was like upstairs somewhere. Oh, yes. I remember exactly. It was kind of like a rite of passage. I'm not quite sure the genesis of it, but I guess intuitively just knew that it was time for you. And so I took you and it's funny because I've also, I've done that with a couple of the other kids. Do you remember the reading at all? Uh, the only thing I remember is that she told me I was an old soul, which I think makes sense if you have a 10 year old getting a psychic. <laughs> <laughs> you could have paid me to tell you yeah, that. Yeah, I know exactly. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, what else you got lady? Clearly. <laughs> um, we want to hear more about you all. And because this is a show about spirituality, I'd love to just sort of draw you both out a bit on sort of your connection to spirituality, because I know you both have deep connections to it on some level. Um, and I also, obviously, too, spirituality and sometimes religion go hand in hand. And I believe you both have connections to your religions as well, um, but in your own unique ways. Um, so just curious... Um, I guess to hear, so I'll just ask you, mom, you know, what was sort of your connection to God, spirit? However, I know you had a real connection to God when you were young. Um, what was that for you? I thought about this today because I knew that you were going to ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> and I was trying to think long and hard where it all began for me. And I was... I was young. I was really young the first time I was introduced to a spirit world, but it was not a good spirit world mm -hmm. because my father married a woman who believed in Santeria. Mm -hmm. And she would do, first of all, let me back up. I would go see them at summer, in the summer. I would spend like some time with them. And that was but, in Puerto Rico, right? No, this oh, okay. was in upstate New York. Oh, okay. And um, every day she would do like this ritual that I remember and where she would put sheets on the windows. Water had a lot to do with these rituals. She would have a glass of water and she would kind of like meditate, you would say, over this water and doing this weird thing with her hands where she would raise them up around her body, like encircling her body. And the next thing I knew, she's talking in different tongues. And for a little kid, that was pretty scary. For yeah. an adult, that would be pretty scary. Yeah. <laughs> and um, that was the first time that I kind of... Was how, introduced. how old were you? You know, I tried to think. I must have been around 10 years old when I started going up there. And um, I saw a lot of things that would totally freak out anyone. She would throw kind of like a spell on my dad oh. where... This is the most that stands out in my mind. It must have been close to Easter. And I don't know how she did this, but in New York, your mom might remember there, he used to have, instead of having chairs like this in your living room, they were big, heavy, heavy sofa chairs. 
single sofa chairs. And I can remember my dad lifting that chair up on his back. My dad was not a big man. And their house went around in like in a circle. He carrying that around the circle. And the next thing I knew, he was on the floor, prostrated like he's on a cross. I can only remember his brother who lived with them grabbing me. And they had an attic that had two bedrooms. One was mine, one was his. And that was the last time that I went to visit them. Because I told my grandmother who was raising me, she never let me go back. And there was never any explanation from them as to what was going on. You were just there as they went through all these rituals and what have you. No, never, never. And as you stated in Puerto Rico, there's a different kind of spirit world where you see things. And there's a lot of places there that are haunted. Sure. So it's usually spirits that, for whatever their reason, do not want to leave this earth. Yeah. And I used to see them. So when I was young, I would see people. Wow. Yes. And I was telling Angel, one of the incidents in New York, I was in this I guess it was my bedroom, but other people also slept there. And um, seeing a man at the edge of my bed dressed as a monk, he had, you know, he was a monk. And he had his hand reaching out for me to take it. And it frightened me. And I started calling my grandmother. But when my grandmother came in, there was nobody there. So when I told her and explained... She said, if he comes back, don't take his hand because he will take you with you. Wow. So, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. or with him, not with me, but. Mm-hmm. The horror film trilogy you should do. <laughs> yeah. The monk. <laughs> yeah, the sequel to The Nun. And I didn't get into good spirits until right before my cancer. Oh, wow. Yeah, when I heard that voice in my head that out of nowhere said, you have a tumor in your head. Wow. How, how long ago was that? 14 years, 14, Angel. Say 15, 14, 15? 15 years ago. It's not that long. Wow. Yeah. No, because you were, you know, I mean, because you were also raised. Well, first off, I do want to say, I remember being young and we were talking about this, like one of my vivid memories uh, that you waking me up. I was young. I don't remember how old I was, but when Abuela, your, well, your grandmother passed away and my mother came into the room and said, grandma has, has passed. And I said, what, how do you know? And she said, she told me. And then the phone rang and I recall hearing you talking and saying, yes, I know, I know. And I remember, cause I just, that's so vivid to me in, as a child thinking, oh wow, like my mom, and grandma like talked like her ghost must have come to say to say goodbye and not being scared of that because I think just the way I was raised, I just accepted the, that. Well, and I believe the voice I heard in my head was hers. Of course, I'm sure. But I've always um, I remember when I first started working with Disney, my boss 
I used to tell him, and I would use this terminology, because I didn't want to get into details, and I would say, Ryan, my gut is telling me you should not do that. This is going to get us into trouble. And then later on him coming back and saying to me one day, because I used to say this a lot, and they probably thought I was nuts, but he came back and said, you know, Maria, when you tell me that you have a gut feeling about something, I will always listen. Mm -hmm. So it's just like I've always had a sixth sense. Like I know just things. I can't explain them. Yeah, no, it seems you've always been very connected to your intuition. And I think we'll get into that more when we talk about some other (laughs) stories (laughs) to share. Um, So transitioning, yeah, over to you, Mom. hmm. How would you begin to talk about your spiritual awakening and your relationship? Because we were, you know, we were all raised Jewish on this, you know, on this side of the room. Um, So raised Jewish, love my Judaism. And... I never really had any spiritual role models. It was always, you know, my family being Jewish. So it was the traditional Jewish religion. And honestly, I don't really remember when I knew there was spirit or something more. I had a really tumultuous childhood in college life. And I remember at one point in college, and I can still see it, um, I was in a sorority and I was lying on my bed. I just was so miserable and so unhappy with my life. And something in my head said, it'll get better and there's something greater out there. And I never understood it. And I can't honestly say things got greater and better very quickly. Um, <laughs> but there was just kind of that that knowing that there was something else there. And then I think, honestly, I've been led on the spiritual path by my spirit guides. Quite frankly, I was led to start yoga when I was 17 and don't really remember how that came about. And I've practiced yoga ever since. Um, Gravitated towards crystals. There was just this inherent um, calling from them. And the first time I went to a crystal store, well, let's just say I lit up. (laughs) I'm sure I've seen a version of it in your son when I visited a crystal shop. Yes. Yes. As I say, I haven't met a gemstone I don't like. Um, I'm very much into angels and my angels talk to me and I'm actually through Doreen Virtue. I am a certified angel therapist. Um, And when Brandon was about, let's see, Grant, your brother was two. So you were about six. I was driving I had just gotten a brand new white station wagon. It was a tourist station wagon. And there was a car seat in the back for Grant. And I was driving to go visit a friend of mine 
And it was kind of a therapy counseling session. And I was struggling at that point in my life. There were definite um, kind of forks in the road that I was looking at. And I got pushed off the freeway by a huge truck and I lost control of the car and I rolled twice down an embankment. And I remember, I can still remember just the crunching of the glass and I just kept holding on to the steering wheel thinking, please, God, please let me live. I want to see my boys. I want to see my boys. And when the car stopped, the music was still going and I'm like, I got to get out of here because it's going to blow up because mm. that's from movies and yeah. stuff. That's what I thought happens, <laughs> right. right? And I couldn't move though. And the next thing I knew, there was this gentleman helping me out of the car. And he said, don't move, don't move. Paramedics were already on their way. And they laid me down because they said, you've rolled your car. Your car's totaled. Do not move because we're not sure if there's any spinal damage. So I'm lying on this embankment in the dirt and they've got blankets on me. And all of a sudden, this man presents himself and it's a priest and he's dressed in black with the white um, collar. And he says, child, can I pray for you? And I look and I'm like, yes. And he said this prayer and it was, he held my hand. And then my husband at the time who was driving on the freeway, saw an accident on the road, you know, realized it was me in the car, got out, came over. And just as soon as he was bending down to talk to me, I said, where's, where's the priest? Where's the priest? And he goes, there's no priest here. I go, no, 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 no. There's there, there was, where is he? And I, there were other people there and I said, I, I want to talk to the priest again. And he had dark hair, kind of, um, olive complected and it was Archangel Michael. Wow. I know it was. And so that, that was at that moment in life it was like, okay. Am I correct in remembering that? Dad had also forgotten his briefcase that yes. day. And that's why he happened to be driving by the site mm, of the accident yes. at that time. Yes. So it was very serendipitous. Yeah. Um, and you had no physical injuries from that accident except well, a cut from the seatbelt, right? Yep. Which is miraculous because it was a brand new car. It had it less than a week and it was completely total. Did you say it was a Taurus? It was at that time. It was a hot <laughs> new car. At that time, it was, you know, the... The Taurus station wagon. Because we should remind you. Yeah, very on brand for you. My mom is a double Taurus. (laughs) (laughs) Extremely. Yeah, and a strong brand mentality. (laughs) Well, that Taurus car saved my life. Heck yeah, it did. Um, And then I just, honestly, spirit has, I guess, I haven't really thought about this, but I've been very blessed in that spirit has gently, sometimes a little not so gently, led me to books, teachers. Um, and over the years, I just, I love my Judaism, but I started to see that no matter what religion, because I had a tremendous interest in different religions. 
And as I started to study different religions, I realized love and spirit are all the same. doesn't matter what you call it. Mm -hmm. And so I started to kind of have a fascination and I, I love being in churches, synagogues, um, temples, you know, you name it. Cause I just find that the commonality, um, is really magnificent and transcends all religions. And it's too bad that most people don't really truly understand that. I yeah. That. Just that the sacred is the sacred regardless yeah. of yeah. how you categorize it. Yeah. And then I think what's solidified for me, the real presence of angels, ancestral helping spirits, um, spirit guides, joy guides, was when I was diagnosed with cancer four years ago. And honestly, I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for the love and support of my angels. Not to mention, well, first and foremost, my children. <laughs> <laughs> of course, say, the love of my too. children. <laughs> yes. But, um, and I think my practice has just really deepened and moved more quickly because I'm much more open to it. And so for me, like, I think that's so cool that Cookie sees dead people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't see dead people, but I do, I get visions. I have a strong um, gut intuitive like you do. It's taken me a long time to trust it. Um, and I hear the angels speak to me. So. And do you find that when they speak to you, it sounds like a different voice than the voice in your head? Or is it kind of the same voice that you? No, it's, it's different. And they even, for me, how I've really learned, because in the beginning it was like, no, that's just me. That's my right. ego. Yeah. That's, you know, I'm making that up. But what's really interesting is as I've started to observe it, more recently because it's becoming stronger the way they talk to me is verbiage that is different than i would use ah. for me being a taurus we can be a little stubborn <laughs> so sometimes the universe has to come in and smack with smack me with a two by four right <laughs> <laughs> um so a lot of times i will talk to spirit and just like, okay, give me a sign. Am I on the right track? Yeah. And I have certain things like whether it's um, rainbows, hummingbirds, um, ladybugs, ladybugs, spirit animals. I mean, yeah. And, well, it's so great because everyone has their own specific symbolic language. And once you start to pay attention, you realize, oh, my language is composed of like rainbows and hummingbirds mm -hmm. and ladybugs or my language is composed of feathers or yes. um, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. You start to tune in and it's specific to each and every person. Yeah. And I think the other important stepping stone into the world of spirit for me was when my sister passed 13 and a half years ago. We were very, very close and she was diagnosed and gone within 16 months and she said to me, I will find a way to communicate with you before she passed. 
and day doesn't go by that I don't talk to her. Mm -hmm. And I know it's her. So. So you've both brought up a little bit about your journeys with cancer and both of you having a spiritual approach to surviving something like that. And I'd love to start with you, Cookie, and then come back to you, Mom, and just draw you out. What do you feel people should know um, that might help them if they are personally on that journey or, you know, have someone in their life that's on that journey? Well, for me, it was kind of... Cancer's always been in my life. It took my mother, it took her two sisters, it took my father. When I was diagnosed and I was listening to you saying about spirits, well, I have a strong belief in archangels. And I've had the cancer come back three times. My signs have always been feathers. Mm. And to tell you two incidences, I strongly believe in the Archangel Michael. He is my warrior. He has taken me through every single cancer. Archangel Raphael is my healer. The first time I went into surgery, the doctor thought, you know, well, are you, are, is, are you okay, Maria? Are you afraid? And I said, no. There are angels surrounding us in this whole room, and you're not the surgeon. There's greater hands doing this <laughs> I'm surgery. I'm sure you love to hear that. <laughs> yes. So, Cookie, I am so loving listening to your story. I'm also so really jealous <laughs> because... <laughs> When I was diagnosed with cancer and through all the surgeries, I I didn't see things. And I always thought, you know, over the last four years, and I've even whined about this to Brandon, it's like, you know, I would pray with each surgery, you know, okay, are the angels going to come to me? Tell me my life path so now I can get on with my purpose, you know, because like the stories of like Anita Morjani and, you know, um, all these people that their lives, you know, were kind of floundering and then they had these near death experiences and poof, right. they knew what to do with Instant. their life. <laughs> yeah. 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 It doesn't always work that way. <laughs> you know, and so through the last four years, it's like, oh, this is going to be amazing. There's going to be some point where I'm going to have clarity. Well, it hasn't happened that way. And <laughs> what I what I've realized is I'm probably more the norm in that it's a process. And as we move through the good times and the bad times in life, it helps us to reach clarity on what our purpose is in this world. Mm. And I think ever since I was little, I've always felt this, why am I here? What am I supposed to do? And it's so funny because Brandon, you're the same. I mean, I remember, you know, mm. at, I think it was, you were like 17 and you had had so many accomplishments in drama and writing and you're in tears and you're like, I just wish I knew what I was supposed to do with my life. I haven't done anything. Capricorn moon. <laughs> and I'm like, babe, you're only 17. Take a deep breath. You've done more in 17 years. Um, I thought you were going to say you're only 12. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was Could've doing been. he was doing that then, too. Right. <laughs> um, but I think for me, the most important lesson 
that I pass on to people that have cancer or or are diagnosed is to have faith and realize that, yes, it isn't what you planned, but for whatever reason, there's a tremendous gift and healing in it. And honestly, for me, the last four years, as horrible and as hard as they've been, physically, mentally, emotionally, I can honestly say I'm happier than I've ever been. Um, Cancer gave me the courage to set boundary in my life that I otherwise wasn't able to do. And I think part of that is I'm a firm believer in mind-body connection. And I really do. Louise Hayes, one of my mentors, always has been. And her Heal Your Body is one of my Bibles. When I was diagnosed with cancer, I really, I didn't feel sorry for myself. I didn't feel like it was a punishment from God, which is how my sister felt and how a lot of people feel, but rather I felt like, okay, there's an accountability on my part. And how did I draw this into my life? What does it have to teach me and how can I then release it? And I know this may not resonate with a lot of people and they don't believe in the the holistic concept of dis-ease in the body and the emotional um, parallel with it. But for me, it was really important from day one. I loved my cancer because my cancer was a part of me. And so I felt like in order to understand it, and release it that I needed to love it. And I also looked at it as a master teacher for me. And so I just, the, the greatest thing that I can pass on to, to anyone that's diagnosed with cancer is just don't believe what the doctors tell you, have faith, go with your gut instinct and use whatever resources you can to help you connect with why it's in your life and what gifts it has to offer you. And I just want to piggyback on that and say, when you called me and told me that you were diagnosed, you will remember this. One of the first things you said to me is, don't you Google this because we are going to have our own experience of this journey and we are not going to take anybody else's point of view. And I think that moment of claiming our spiritual authority and marching our own road with this was so important. And I still have not Googled it. I just want to. <laughs> no, and it's great. And it's, I, I thank you so much for sharing that with me right now. It's like, I want to start crying because I, I forgot that. And I think that's been the hardest thing for me moving through um, this cancer is it's a very rare form. And I was, from the day I was diagnosed, five days later, I had a pick line and was on chemo. And being in a traditional setting, you know, university setting and UCSD has been amazing, but with parents that are not real spiritual. So learning to navigate the holistic and the allopathic, the traditional has been a real challenge for me in being able to speak up for myself in the midst of a traditional university. And, you know, I've done Reiki on every bag of chemo that went into me. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) And so it's actually, I've realized we live in a magnificent time where the two combine so beautifully. And I think 
I'm not going to speak for you, but I Mm -hmm. think that's why we're both doing as beautifully as we are is because we've embraced the traditional treatments, Yes, but used our spiritual side to help offset whatever the negativity would be. No, I agree because I have also a rare form of cancer. And the last time I saw my doctor, he said to me, I don't understand what's going on with you. And I go, why do you say that? And I've had, this cancer is a reoccurring cancer. I will, you know, I have to see the doctor every three months, get x-rays. I glow in the dark from all the radiation. (laughs) And, um, but he, you know, like the surgeon who did my lung surgery says to the doctor, Dr. Decker, um, when am I going to see Maria again? And he goes, ooh, I don't know, seven years and she's still going. (laughs) And it's because this cancer I have likes your lungs, but my angels are bigger than this cancer. And just to piggyback on what you said is everyone that I ever meet, and I've met a lot of cancer patients in 13 years, and a new friend that just got cancer, I tell them, don't fear it. That's your worst enemy is stress and fearing the cancer. You have to face it head on. So, so easy to say though. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. But for me, I never feared it. I know Angel can tell you. Really? Never have I feared this cancer. And three times I've had it. Yes. And I understand what you said. When you're angry, I wasn't sure who I was angry at. You know, I'd say, okay, God, I know you have a sense of humor, but haven't I been through enough in my life? Mm -hmm. And then it would be, I'd cry. Mm -hmm. I'd be sad thinking if I die, I don't want my children to have to suffer watching their mother die. I've had to do that too many times. And I thought, no, mm -mm. I'm going to go, you know, but not right now. You mentioned how you left, you know, you were raised a strict Catholic, but then left the church sort of early on. And I don't know if you remember, but I had a very similar experience. If you remember, I was sort of going through confirmation. I think I started like my, Mm -hmm. you know, Catholic. So it was like confirmation classes. And on that first day, do you remember this, that I called you and said, you need to come pick me up because I'm done. (laughs) And I explained to you why, and I have I think I've talked about it before on the podcast, but it was just a really intense experience. But one of them being that also that, you know, I they were talking about homosexuality and it's a sin. And I obviously knew at that point, I was like 13. So I already knew that, well, that wasn't going to end well for me. So I, <laughs> but I remember calling you and saying, mom, I'm done. I can't be here anymore. I'm not going to church anymore. I don't believe in this. And you saying, okay, I'm going to come get you. And I remember thinking, wow, like that was pretty easy. And I knew with dad, it wasn't going to be that easy. And it certainly wasn't. And we had a lot of fights about the fact that I wouldn't go to church. But I didn't even realize that you also sort of had a similar experience where you sort of left the church. (laughs) I just was curious to hear that. Because what happened with me in the church was when Angel was born, I wanted to have him baptized. So I went to our church that we were a part of. 
the priest said to me, well, are you, where's your, I need your marriage certificate. And I said, well, my husband and I are not married by the church. And, you know, I was married before. I'm not, I'm divorced, but I know what that means in the church. He had the nerve to say to me that I cannot baptize your son because he's a bastard. Who is a priest or anyone in any religion to say who you are and, and what you have to do? To me, if God created us, he created you. He created you. God don't make no mistakes. mistakes okay? <laughs> no, I don't. say God doesn't <laughs> do ugly. So what are you talking about? I love that. God doesn't do <laughs> No, he doesn't. So He also doesn't do knockoffs. Yes. <laughs> yes. So you understand that mm-hmm. I don't think that the church has any right to discriminate. I love my son. I love Brandon. And I believe that you were both created to be together. And that's When did you know Angel was gay? When he was three. Something A year just- after I did. and it was nothing that he did he was a terrific little boy but something in my heart and I've I was telling Angel growing up I had two cousins they were twins but I thought they were fraternal because one was a boy and one was a beautiful girl and wore a wig sort of like that one in the end (laughs) and we went to yeah, we we went to visit them one time, and he was dressed as a girl, and the brother was dressed as a boy, except I don't know why he flipped off the wig. It was hot. Yeah, I guess. And I said to my grandmother, Grandma, now they really look like twins, but is he a girl? And my grandmother said, be quiet and leave it alone. <laughs> You know? Sounds about right in our so, <laughs> family. Till I grew up later on, then you, you realize. And now it's telling Angel, maybe he was transgender and, you know, that he was born a boy. But he was really a girl in his, in his mind, in his heart, in his soul. But with Angel, I just always knew. When did you come out to your mom, Angel? Uh, I think I was 21 when I finally came out. We have differing versions of the story, though. Oh, I think that's fun. <laughs> I think we were able to kind of piece it together finally. I recall getting a phone call from my mother very early in the morning. Well, like 830 in the morning, which I think kind of lines up with your mm-hmm. driving. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> you remember it being in the car. Yes. yes. I remember being in bed in my apartment in San Francisco Uh, And getting a phone call and uh, just being asked, how are you? And me not wanting to really talk to her because I had just had like a fight with a guy who I'd been dating the night before. Um, And I was really upset. And I didn't want to talk to anybody. And she called and and said, but I know something's wrong. So just tell me. And so I basically said, you know, yeah, I had a fight. It was with the guy. I'm gay. And the reason I called Angel is, like I said, I've always had a connection with my children. And I always get this gut feeling when there's something wrong. 
And that day I was driving back. I had gone to work really early in the morning. And um, I got this thing. I got to call Angel. There's something wrong with Angel. So I called him. And I remember having this conversation. And he said to me, Mom, I'm gay. And I said, and? (laughs) You know, because I always knew. Now, we had this conversation about his dad. And yes, I thought about it later, Angel. And I did say that I was afraid as to how your dad would take it. Mm -hmm. Because being a policeman, he just has this macho attitude. And... I thought... Not so much anymore. No, no. (laughs) And I was so proud of my husband and what he said to his son. And I guess, like, in hindsight, what does sadden me is that a lot of young people don't have a safe space in which to come out. And because our, you know, home growing up wasn't the best it, it wasn't the best <laughs> it, it didn't necessarily have safety <laughs> written all no. over it or feelings of um but i do think looking back well i guess i wish i could have been out then because i think it would have probably made things easier but at the same time i was probably protected by not doing it at that time and it all played out the way it needed to um but i've always been so grateful that i have had you know, that both you and dad have been so easily accepting of it once it became a part of our lives and, you know, our our shared lives. Um, It's like never been a problem. So I'm pretty lucky. What about you all? Yeah, mom. (laughs) (laughs) The second trimester. He came out tap dancing. (laughs) Well, now now that you mention it, there is tap dancing involved with it. Oh, shit. There is. Um, I knew when you were four years old. And I, I knew around three, but there was a significant event at four that just sealed the deal. You were going to a Montessori school around the corner from the house. And from the time you came out, Brandon, you've never closed your mouth. You just, (laughs) you talk, you sing, you know, and it's, and and it, and it's so cute because even to this day, I I can always gauge your mood on what you're singing. I mean, when you were a teenager and like, if I was upstairs and the windows were open and I'd hear you singing down the street, it's like, oh, it was a good day today. (laughs) Um, but so what happened was there were after school programs and there were these uh, there was this gal who was going to do a tap dancing class after school. And she asked the kids to raise their hand. And it was actually tap dancing and ballet. And <laughs> she asked the kids, you know, who would like to take part. And of course, it was three girls and Brandon. And. At the time, I was like, okay, fine, no problem. She's like, okay, he needs to buy tap shoes and ballet shoes. And which for me, like you, Cookie, it was just like, okay, just another form mm-hmm. of expression. You were so excited. And I, <laughs> I might add, you you did a better job than most of the girls. Thank you, um, <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> 
on the good ship lollipop was 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 really what uh, we were tap dancing to yeah yeah um that is the gayest thing i've ever heard but but the funny <laughs> thing was i remember at the time my mom when i told her your grandma when i told her that he was going to take tap dance and <laughs> ballet classes she was horrified <laughs> she she was like you're not going to let him do it, are you? And I said, of course I am. He really is excited about it. And I think the hardest thing for me, and I don't know if you remember any of the tensions from this, was it was much harder for your dad to embrace the fact that, that you were gay. Oh, yeah. He really wanted a boy. Yeah. And I mean, like, the big thing was he, you know, well, he wanted when, his idea of what well, a boy exactly. was. Exactly. And I'll never like, forget, you know. he wanted you to come home from work and throw the ball yeah. in the cul-de-sac, you know, with my son. And it was really hard for him. And I'm sure it's very hard for most men um, to move through that transition of realizing their son is gay. But what was really interesting is he knew from the time you were very little and he still tried to tonight. I remember there were times he would go say goodnight to you in bed and you'd be asleep and he'd whisper in your ear. You won't be gay. You won't be gay. What? The <laughs> okay. That's news to me. everybody. <sighs> and I should just say that, you know, my father is an incredibly supportive. Oh, man. and he's been and an incredible. Learned, I remember I knew it was okay. Because I asked him for a credit card. And he said, even if you were straight, I wouldn't give you a credit card. <laughs> and I thought, well, okay. And I know that might sound harsh, but the fact that we could start to joke about it in that way is when I felt like... Yeah. And in all right. fairness, I mean, your dad has been a great dad. And I that th this comes back to the point I'm saying. I think for a man to acknowledge their son is gay, they then have to do some soul searching and look within themselves. Mm -hmm. And... um. So he did the, the best he could. But I, I think one of the, the proudest moments for me with your dad was when you came out. You chose to go away for your last two years of high school to a performing arts boarding school. And I'll never forget this. I was cooking eggs breakfast in the morning. You were up in your room. And it was getting close to when you were going to be leaving. And your dad comes in and we're talking and just about how I'm going to miss you, this and that. And he goes, you know, do you think he's going away to school because he's afraid to tell us he's gay? So me being me, you know, let's just confront it. I turned off the stove mid cooking the eggs and I looked at your dad and I just said, let's go find out. And I went upstairs and knocked on your door. And I, I remember I sat down on the floor. You were sitting at your desk. And I said, Brandon, are you going away to school because you're afraid to tell dad and I that you're gay? And typical Brandon, he broke into tears, very dramatic. <laughs> and he was like, oh, my God, I've been wanting to tell you. Do you remember I had bought you guys a well, book? Well, that's and, and I gift wrapped it. Aww. And there was oh. an inscription in the book that was like, well, it was. I hope you still love me. No, no, you. And there were all the pamphlets, pamphlets for like from P flag. P flag. Yeah, totally. And it was very this prepared. Capricorn Moon. Oh, it was this magnificent book. It was this. Uh, I think it was New York Times journalist at the time, and she wrote a story about when her 
son came out and it talked about the, her, I, oh, I, I knew she had two boys, they but both were gay. Oh, okay. So the, for me, I was like, look, at least you still have one. <laughs> yeah. And, and it was just, um, I'm, I'm sitting there and it's like, oh my God, you sweet child. You're more worried about me than you. And I immediately said, okay, hold on a second. I need to go get your dad. And so I ran downstairs. I got your dad, brought him upstairs. I said, Brandon has something to tell you. And you told him. And of course, he started crying and he hugged you. And it was like at that moment, I think I was one of the most proud of him as being a husband and father because he loved you no matter what. Yeah, he and then upset when I got that fake nose ring. Oh, yeah. Threatened to tear it out of my face. And then, of course, because <laughs> everything is about me, I think the the next thing I said to you was, well, you do realize this doesn't mean that I can't have grandchildren. And you still say that to me all the time. I do. <laughs> so do I. Okay. <laughs> this is a setup. What I wanted to say in hearing all of that, and I think this is a really important teaching for anyone that has a child, is that what was hard for dad is that he wanted me to reflect him back to himself. He wanted his mm -hmm. child to be an extension of himself as opposed to what he has now learned, which is that you just honor the authenticity of the child. Even beyond gay, trans, lesbian, it's, and this is part of the spirituality yeah. is whatever your religion is, it's embracing that, that Christ consciousness, that compassion, that love, the love of mother Mary, yes. the angels yes. and, and truly embracing everyone. But there's so the much same hatred in the world and i don't know you know if only people would stop mm -hmm. and just look around and there's so much beauty i heard brandon say something about your connection to nature well it's my connection to water mm. where i come alive mm -hmm. and i think <laughs> that hatred is such wasted energy definitely that can be better put somewhere else. And don't you think that oftentimes the people with the most hatred externally are probably the ones that have the most hatred for themselves? Well, it's yes. projection. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And, you know, ugh. I but was I, just a thought that came into my mind is about gay. Okay. My husband grew up with a family. The husband and wife had three kids. And I met them later on. The kids were already adult. My mother-in-law said to me, you'll never believe this. I go, what's wrong, mom? She goes, and I can't remember the gentleman's name. She says, he left her. I go, oh, my God, for another woman? No, for a man. He was always gay. And I always thought about this growing up because, you know, I'm 71, so... I go back, do you know what I'm saying, to... Many generations. Yes. Yeah, thinking. Where men would hide in they a marriage. come out. Yes, with the fear that if I come out and say that I'm gay, what's going to happen to me? Yeah. So they put these poor women through this marriage, had children, and then all of a sudden the world starts changing. I know that there are priests that did the same thing. I'm sure in many religions. So to me, you know, to pass judgment on anyone, look at your, you know, look into yourself first. 
You touch on a really good point though, too. And for you boys, because I'm sure a lot of your friends now are starting to have kids. And as a parent, I think a lot of parents do look at their children as extensions of themselves Mm -hmm. and they want their children to be reflections of them. And to me, the most important thing was to let my kids be themselves. And I remember Mm -hmm. once someone said, you know, imagine them like a tree. Your job as a parent is to help that tree grow grow straight and allow it to be whatever tree it's meant to be. And I think for anyone that's stepping into parenthood, to be able to look at your kids, and embrace their differences and allow them to grow into the people that they're meant to be. You know, they actually deprive themselves, parents that don't deprive themselves of the magnificent gifts that their kids have to offer. Well, and just, as we're having this conversation, I think, well, no matter what you do, your child will reflect you. It's just whether or not you're willing to have that reflection. Mm-hmm. Well, exactly. So, th- so it's well really said. about Oh, being reflected something that you don't want to see about yourself that makes you uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if for, I'm not saying dad is gay, but I certainly <laughs> think he's got his own weirdness and his own fluidity. Well, it's, it's interesting you bring that up. As a Playboy bunny that one time. Probably. No, and, but, and this is another <laughs> issue though that I think is, you know, it's a dialogue that needs to be had more with men is, you know, everyone has male and feminine energy, mm-hmm. you know, and women can much more easily express male energy, but for a man to express female energy, even in this day and age, it isn't a comfortable thing. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that was probably what was really scary for your dad. And he didn't even realize it on a conscious level when he realized you were gay is it, it, it was the mirror, you know, forcing him to look at himself. Totally. And he did and, because he's Brandon's number one fan. <laughs> oh <laughs> yes that's and very true he's trying to get her gigs he called me, oh that's so cute I like, i've got a friend who just wants brandonna to sing happy birthday like marilyn Monroe. Oh. he'll pay you five hundred dollars <laughs> i was like he's like it's tomorrow i was like i can't do this <laughs> no <laughs> i remember you told that me that was very sweet of him that he's yeah. always you know pitching mm-hmm. brandonna yeah well i think what we've talked about too on the show is that you know you can sometimes then also attract whatever those lessons are from the children also in your in your partner as well so it's always interesting to just look at what are you know everyone's a reflection um so i find that fascinating too of like what are the lessons that you're not only having to take from your children as parents but also your partners absolutely and as you get older and have different partners you look back back on some of the the first ones. The, the first ones, like, oh man, I was just really learning. I guess I had to learn that lesson hard. The hard well, yeah, <laughs> but that's how we evolve. Yep. And then you finally reach a point where, and I, as a mom, am incredibly proud of you two boys and the relationship you have mm-hmm. because I think it's probably one of the best relationships of any couple I know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whatever relationships you move through i think you're now you've reflected back to each other you you have evolved enough and are self-actualized enough to have a partner that you're willing to do the hard work with and who will call you out on your shit but also love you at the same time so that you can be the best versions of yourself 
I agree. I agree too. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to know Brandon's the only person that my son has ever brought into our home. Oh, wow. I don't know if you knew that. You treated me like one of your own from day one. You were. (laughs) I fell in love because you are just like me. Two Aquarians. Oh, yeah. (laughs) A few days apart. I used to tell Angel, "Mm, you like my mini me. (laughs) (laughs) He goes, Mom, don't say that. Uh, Just to sum up this little... Section. But wait, oh, yeah. so she's an Aquarius yeah. and I'm a Taurus. So yeah. in that. No, I know there's a lot of, because Angel's a Taurus rising. Yeah. And so, yeah. yes, in some ways we have married our mothers. Still working through some things yeah. some from issues. childhood. But fine. also apparently some things we really liked. We were like, we'll just keep this going. Yeah. Well, so I like to think of it as you married the better parts of us. For sure. Yeah. And that was yes. the good influence. I know 100%. I just want to see if we can crystallize what would both of you say is one of the greatest spiritual lessons you learned having to raise a gay child in a world that isn't built necessarily for that. Don't fuck with mama bear. <laughs> I like that. I, like I that. agree. Oh, I man. agree. It, you know, from, from day one, it was like, you are my child. You are perfect. This is who you are. And God damn it, this world is going to embrace you for who you are. And that was one of the things when you first came out. And I remember um, after your dad had left the room that day and I hugged you and we um, were sitting together and I just, I, I hugged you and I said, I don't ever want you to be ashamed of who you are. You didn't do anything wrong. I will say... I'm one of the proudest mothers. I brag about Angel to everyone. <laughs> I have, uh, when I was working, I, I had do a, too, Cookie. Yeah, see? I brag about <laughs> yeah, my son-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> but I had people that worked for me, and they would post things about, not outwardly about gay people, but I knew what they were saying. And one day it kind of annoyed me with this lady. So we had kind of a conference call, all of my team. And I said, well, I would like to say to all of you, I am a proud, and Angel said, mom, don't say it that way. I said, I am a proud gay mother. <laughs> That's how I said it. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> the wording's a little off, but we, we know what you're saying. <laughs> Yes. And I said, I never again want to hear any negativity about gay people. And I said, my son is an amazing man. And after he married Brandon, I told them because I said, well, I'm going to be gone for a couple of days. Well, where are you going? Well, my son's getting married to this wonderful, wonderful man. Best wedding ever. Yes. And they said, huh? I go, and if you have a problem with it, keep it to yourself. See? Yes. And I am. And even with family members that we won't mention because she might listen, (laughs) but (laughs) because she keeps asking me, I don't know how you do it. How do you accept angel? And I'm going, excuse me? What do you mean how I accept Angel? I said, you know, I don't know what you learned. Good for you. But I guess you have a different God than mine. Oh, this is juicy as hell. 
no truth because, and I told her that, God created these, I call you children, because you'll always be Mm -hmm. my children. And the person I'm speaking of, I said, you know, you are going to lose this beautiful human being in your life. Why? Because you can't deal with what she does in her bedroom? What changed? I said, you need a life. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because if that's all you have to think about, you got problems. Well, I think one other thing to touch on, and I hope you felt this, while it wasn't immediately embraced by your grandparents, because they're of a generation where it it just wasn't acceptable, but they have come a long way and they love and adore you. And I think part of it is too, that you are helping bring up, you know, raise that generation's consciousness and teaching them love and acceptance. Mm. For sure. Um, and then but it's I, never too late. It's never too oh, late in someone's life to be able to absolutely. make that Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But, and I don't know if I can ask questions, but, and maybe you, you've already discussed this, but I'd be curious to know what both of you boys, what would be one of the most important things that you would want to pass on to young people, you know, uh, that are gay, lesbian, transgender? Yeah. I mean, we do talk about this on the podcast all the time, but I guess the thing that I'm always saying is that the parts of yourself that you're most embarrassed and ashamed of are actually the parts of yourself that are most sparkling and that are your unique gifts to the world. And if in the same way you talked about loving your cancer and treating it as a master teacher, I would say if you can love the parts of yourself that bring you shame, that embarrass you, that you feel are unlovable, they will actually show up to be your greatest allies and they will pave the road for your soul's And no chicken shook on it. Yes, he did. <laughs> what about you, babe? What would you say? I would say to understand that not everyone is gifted with an immediate family who is willing to accept you for who you are. Not everyone is as gifted mm-hmm. as we have been. But to trust in your whole being that there is a family there for you. I think in our culture, we call it the chosen family. (laughs) And that you will find your tribe, you will find your community, you will find your people. They may not have been the ones that you share a name with and that you were born into it with. But take the lessons from that birth family experience. Understand that you are resilient and strong and that there are others out there who will love you as ferociously as you deserve to be loved. Beautiful. That is beautiful. And that you're a teacher. Yes. For them. Yeah. But they you can send them away to school. They don't. Yeah, okay. <laughs> no. It can be an online class. <laughs> it needs to be. <laughs> That's good. So, of course, we have to have our moms pull a tarot card. Of course. So this is how we end every episode. So I'm just going to invite all of our listeners to take a moment and ground in in whatever way you can. And I'm going to encourage our moms to do the same thing. So just take a moment. You can connect to the card just by hearing me shuffle them. And just know that this message will resonate no matter the future time or place to which you're listening to this podcast.
Are they each going to pull one? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, good. I was get... hoping I got to touch them. <laughs> yes. I like, I don't want you to pick it for me. All right. Brandon has gone to both of our mothers. They've each selected a card. And now here we go. All right. So, Mom, tell me what you pulled. Brand new 2020 Mercedes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there were prizes in this. I know. Apparently, <laughs> the prize is right. Um, do you do reversals? I do do reversals, yes. Okay, so I picked the moon reverse. Beautiful. And Cookie, mm. what did you pick? Father of Cups. Father of Cups. Mm. Oh my gosh, so beautiful. So the thing that both the moon and the Father of Cups have in common is that they're both in the emotional, intuitive realm. The moon is the invitation into our shadow, into our darkness, the things that bring us shame, into the things we don't understand. The moon is also, I always say, the temple that the high priestess tends. So when the moon shows up, it's an invitation to move through your darkness and your shame and your shadow so that you can access your deeper intuitive gifts. And Mm -hmm. the father of cups is what I think of as the healer of the deck. And the father of cups knows how to hold space for both themselves and others. And so there's something in both of these cards. And with the moon reversed, you know, sometimes the moon is a hard card because you do have to confront that strangeness of your own being. And when it's reversed, sometimes it's a softening of what could mm-hmm. be a harder energy. So that's how I would take it, is that we're all being invited into a softer experience of our own unconscious and our shame and how to love it and hold space for it, which is what the Father of Cups is about. So until we meet again, I would say, if you can embody your own inner healer and treat yourself as your own client, and hold your own shadow's hand and pour your sadness and your fear some whiskey or some tea. <laughs> That's a really great way to move into a deeper threshold of your own becoming. Beautiful. Great. Thank you. Thank that you was guys. lovely. First off, we really want to thank the both of you for being here. What a truly special experience. We have been planning this for I don't even know how many months. Um, so I'm just so excited that this got to happen. So thank you both for your time and for, um, bringing us into this world. Yeah. <laughs> I guess we'll start there. Without you, <laughs> we'd be nothing. You're, wa- you're welcome. <laughs> yes. Yeah, idea in the ether. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hope, hope it's been worthwhile. Um, <laughs> but of course we want to thank everyone out there for listening. All of our gazers. Um, we're so grateful for all of your love and support and for listening and, Please continue to spread the word about the podcast. Um, We're so grateful for uh, all the lovely messages that everyone sends us. You can, of course, always find us on Instagram at The Spiritual Gaze, Twitter at Spiritual Gaze. Uh, You can also find us on Facebook. You can find us uh, at thespiritualgaze.com. You can also (laughs) just email us at thespiritualgaze at gmail.com. I just personally want to say a big thank you to all of the mothers out there. This is kind of our honorary Mother's Day episode. And of course, I want to say thank you to the big mother, which is Mother Earth, the planet on which we all get to call home. Um, big thank you to our neighbor, Carl, who mothers this podcast. <laughs> True that. And our a, cancer. Our, yes, our cancer. And a big thank you to Justin Simeon, as always, for the interstitial music. And thank you to Noche for being so quiet as we recorded this. <laughs> uh, if you do feel compelled to, please leave us a review or five-star ratings. Or send this episode to your mother. Okay. Until next time, this has been your transit through the spiritual gaze. I 
loved it. Dialogues with their own mothers. Me too. Yeah,